You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to the middle of your Wednesday as we bring you big noon sports, as you just heard, Matt Lars and our uh, always pro producer, the one and only Justin Jones. So let's light it up. Got a lot of things to talk about, uh, including uh, kind of post talk about Texas and then leading up to South Florida and the travel down to Tampa, among many other things. I got to get my Braves in here. They could clinch tonight. That's just amazing. It's what the day it's september 13th but anyway lars how are you today i'm good i'm good uh, a lot of chatter in the college football universe about uh what is the reason for the demise of the alabama dynasty and uh you know you you hear that uh the run of elite quarterbacks was unsustainable uh, the constant churn of assistance is going to catch up with Nick Saban eventually. Uh, regression to the mean is inevitable for everyone. Uh, you know, the, the clock runs out on every dynasty. But uh, USF coach Alex uh, Golish this week uh, had a kind of a unique perspective. Um, and he essentially is saying that, that Saban's been an indirect victim of his own success. One, you, you just look at, uh, the head coaches across the SEC. You know, Florida is led by a former Saban assistant. Georgia is. Mississippi is. Texas A&M. And, uh, and, and, you know, the Nick Saban, or the Sabinization of the SEC, as, as some people call it, has led programs update their infrastructure and hire a gazillion analysts. Uh, and uh, um, but what, what Golish is saying, and he was a, a, a offensive coordinator at, at Tennessee for two years, and so he has a pretty good view. And, and, and this is something I really haven't thought about. And he said, you know what? You see that defensive scheme, meaning Nick Saban's defensive scheme, over and over and over. The playbooks and roster, you know, used to vary by coach and school. So the details uh, would, would be different, right? Of every, uh, everybody's scheme was different. But Saban's influence has been so profound that Kirby Smart is running Saban's defense. Uh, Billy Napier, uh, he needed a, uh, um, when he needed a defensive coordinator, uh, he hired Austin Armstrong, who spent, uh, 2019 under Smart. See, in the Saban tree, right? It's just so big, especially on the defensive side that, uh, what the, uh, South Florida coach is saying is that everybody now runs the Nick Saban defense. And because of that, you become familiar with it. You're going against it every week. You're practicing against it every week. And therefore, you become pretty damn good at going against it. <laughs> and it, it, I, I'm telling you, this, this, this art, this, what, what he's saying, it makes a heck of a lot of sense to me, Matt. It does to me too. And, uh, you know, you got Kevin Steele back, you know, so you're not really going to see much of a variance there, are you? Nope. Um, so uh, they're figuring it out. 
I also think, and, and we, we're we very conscious about pointing this out, and, and I don't know if it supersedes his op- observations, but I think it is always worth, it's always warranted mentioning again. No one in college football wears a bigger target than the University of Alabama. I mean, yeah. it is big. It was bold. It's crimson. It's stamped on them. Was that the biggest game Sark has ever coached in his life? Mm. I mean, he had some big games at Washington, some big games at USC, but no, nothing rivaled that. Nope. I, I don't think so either. And Because he did something. It. Yeah, he did something that yeah. no one has done in the Saban era, and that is come into Brian Denny and win by double digits. Well, do y'all think is, uh, that his wins as a coordinator with Alabama account towards that? No. Uh, no, I'm just talking about as a head coach. Head coach it's, it's a point yeah. worth talking about. But uh, just as a head coach, they've had that game circled ever since they lost 20 to 19. And, and um, you may have kind of equal talent, but, man, they guys get jacked up. And um, so Alabama gets everybody's best shot. And um, I think that along with a great game plan. And more than anything else, Quinn Ewers and their ability to to kind of take Alabama off the ball in physicality. Um, we don't have to reinvent football here to figure out why Alabama lost on the field. They also contributed to their woes greatly, and we have pointed out those a number of times this week. But I like the article. I like what the South Florida coach is saying. I don't think it's going to uh, – I don't know if he knows the defense uh, well enough to move the ball like Texas did. I sincerely doubt it. Um, I, well, I, I, I'll say I'll say this. Like, Okay, so when he's the offensive coordinator at Tennessee, in 2021, uh, uh, Tennessee played Saban, Smart, and Kiffin, and they also went against Pitt. Who's, uh, who's, uh, defensive, who, who's a, uh, who was coached by Pat Narduzzi, who was once a defensive assistant under Saban at Michigan State, right? So that's like almost four bites at the apple in 2021. All right. So what happens in 2022? Tennessee. <laughs> now that, that goalish, right? He had four chances to see this defense. And I know it's players make plays. It's not the coaches, but the coaches put the players in position. So what happens last year? Tennessee beats Alabama 52-49, snapping a 15-game losing streak. Its offense scores the most points that Alabama has allowed in 115 years. Is that a coincidence? The fact that he had seen a version of the Nick Saban defense four times the previous year. I, I, I'm just saying, like I, I just hadn't yeah. thought it. I just hadn't thought of this before, to be to be honest with you, Matt. And it, it, again, it, it makes sense to me. What amazed me, and this goes back to last year against Tennessee, and the point you brought up is uh, well worth discussing. Is I was amazed, and the same way I was amazed this past Saturday night uh, at. Uh, Texas and Tennessee's ability to get receivers. I'm not taught wide yeah. open and deep. And you just don't see that with Nick Saban defenses in the past 16 years. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it now. And you're suggesting, and uh, the South Florida's coaches have said, 
is um, suggesting that they've seen it enough. Now they can work with it or work against it or, you know, profit yeah. from their knowledge. And, and a, another theory out there of, uh, you know, what is wrong with Alabama football um some people are saying that their coaching staff, other than Nick Saban, just isn't good enough. And would you say, uh, and this is for both of you, Justin and Matt, did Alabama get out coached on Saturday night? A little bit. Uh, definitely. Definitely. Yep. How many times have we said that in the last, you know, year compared to the last 10 years? Um, and it's not because of Nick Saban. I think it's it, it, it's it, it, I think it's a function of 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 Nick losing so many assistants, losing so many positions, so many high quality high quality guys, and you know this is like no 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 offense to Tommy Reese, but look at the guy that he was replacing that he replaced Bill O'Brien, head coach at Penn State. Head coach in the NFL, uh, guy who got Brady to multiple Super Bowls. It's a pretty impressive resume for an offensive coordinator. And <laughs> Tommy Reese and Tommy Reese. Hey, and everybody's got to start somewhere, right? And but but you just you just can't compare O'Brien's experience to Tommy Reese's experience. No, you can't. Reese is what thirty one, thirty three. I think. Yeah. Is he okay? Here's another thing worth mentioning, and that's Bo Davis. I mean, you want to talk about a D-line coach? Go in the dictionary and look up a fired-up defensive line coach. And I think that had a lot to do with them emotionally and with their schemes because, you know, Bo knew, Bo knew Alabama's offense. And it really, really surprised me that they were able to get pressure on Milrow and sometimes just rushing three. Nick Saban mentioned that, and often, you know, rushing four and not having a blitz. So, also, I, I think the coaches, uh, assistant coaches, and the constant movement among them under Saban probably does have a little bit to do with this. And what coach sort of has his hands on the players is with the players more than any other coach. It's your strength and conditioning coach. Who was there for a long time? Who Scott really Cochran. was Scotty Cochran? Scotty Cochran. He's the only strength and conditioning coach I've ever known that had his own endorsement plan. Hey, Scotty Cochran, I, I, I know he's had some personal uh, struggles, like we all have personal struggles. But, man, that guy is an amazing strength and conditioning coach. And to me, he was almost as important as Nick Saban in that program for so many years. And the loss of Cochran, I think, uh, was more significant than we all saw at the time or than we all believed it was at the time. Let's get some thoughts from uh, Jeff Spiegel, ABC 3340. And we'll do that in just a couple of minutes. You listen to the Hump Day edition of Big Moon Sport.
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A partly sunny sky this afternoon. The chance of a few scattered showers through the evening hours. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 68. Tomorrow, a mixture of clouds and sunshine. Scattered showers are possible during the day. The high at 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Big Noon Sports. Matt and Lars, Justin, appreciate you folks dialing us in. And another reminder, uh, you get the football season. We travel around a little bit that this Friday, Lars and I will be at Free serving up some cold beer. Not personally, but uh, chowing down some burgers. I've done that two weeks in a row. Um, they really go out of their way to get a very, very good quality beef because their hamburgers are outstanding. And... If you've ever been anywhere in the neighborhood of Innisfree, you know the number of beers, the cold beers. And I'll say this. They also have an outstanding staff. And um, when we're out there, they're literally at our beck and call. And that's when they all have full tables. So um, make sure and come see us this Friday afternoon from noon until 2. Big Noon Sports will be live from Innisfree. All right. Is Speaks up? Yes. Oh, there's Jeff Spiegel. How are you, my man? <laughs> I'm really good, Matt. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm I'm living kind of a dream at my age. So it's all, all, yeah. all very, very good. We talked with you last week, and you anchored, and I mean this literally and figuratively, this past Friday. Because you didn't go to one of the games, but you pulled in all the information and watched, if you, you know, you didn't have Spectrum. Don't get me started on that TV thing, Jeff. But right. uh, your observations, and, and let's start uh, on the West Coast. Uh, why did Auburn's offense suddenly stumble? Well, you know, week two, it's, it's just really hard to tell, you know, what to believe or not. I mean, is Auburn's offense really that bad? Or is California's defense, you know, solid? You know, by... I mean, I know this just from the naked eye, and and I know just enough about football to be dangerous when I talk about it, right? Uh, Peyton Thorne made some obvious bad decisions. I mean, the pick that he made was a was a high throw that uh, that not even the new you know six foot four wide receiver could leap up and catch, and uh, and and that got picked, and then he had a he had a fumble, you know, when he was trying to make an extra effort and make a play. And Auburn's very fortunate that there was a quick whistle blown on that and that that was not a touchdown. And instead, you know, they held Cal to a field goal. But, um, you know, 230 yards of offense, that's just that's not going to get it done. I mean, when you start playing SEC games. So there, there's a lot of concern, you know, about the offense. Uh, now, the defense played top notch, I thought. I thought Eugene Asante he he was the only person on that team that was keeping me awake Saturday night because I just couldn't wait to see what defensive play he was going to make next. Uh, he was terrific. In fact, I made a bold prediction on the zone the other night. Um, you know, I'll make a lot of those. Some of them come true. Some of them don't. But I think this guy's going to wind up on the Buckus Award uh, list. You know, before the before the year's out. 
because he was just incredible. So, of course, there's a lot of football left to be played, but obviously Auburn doesn't have everything figured out offensively. Uh, you know, will they, you know, in time to win, you know, seven, eight games? Um, I think they can, but uh, but certainly the offense was a mess Saturday without question. All right, let's uh, go to what happened in Tuscaloosa Saturday night before the Auburn game. Um, let me just ask you point blank, and we may take a while on this. What's wrong with Alabama? Well, the offensive line was was terrible. I mean, they were they were they were awful. Um, you know, there was you know there were holding calls. There were there were there were there were calls that cost Alabama points. You know, and, and Seth McLaughlin, the low snaps. You know, the the quarterback has an expectation of where he wants the football snapped to him. You know, when the play starts, and it's not you know scooting to him on the ground or or off to the left. So you know, Seth's got some mistakes to clean up. And the offensive line has a lot of mistakes to clean up. I don't, I don't think you overhaul the roster after you lose to the Texas Longhorns, who I think, you know, could wind up winning the national championship. I don't think you do that. But, but you know, I think the offensive line is getting a fair share of criticism, and, and they deserve it. Uh, to me, I think Milrow is getting too much criticism. Um, and, and he made... You know, his share of mistakes, but the offensive line didn't help him any. Um, it's laughable to me when I was talking with someone about this, about the offensive line penalties. And we talked about the Caden Proctor hold. And then we talked about the Darian Dowcourt, you know, an eligible receiver downfield. He was downfield blocking. He was too far down and that took away, that took away an Alabama touchdown. And then, you know, a friend of mine was going, well, you know, you, you can't blame Dalcourt for that because, you know, he thought Milrow was going to run. Well, then, then I'll just turn around and say, well, those two interceptions that Milrow threw, he thought a guy was open. You know, <laughs> the mistakes are mistakes. And the mistakes the offensive linemen made cost Alabama eight points because they had to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns. The mistakes that Milrow made cost Alabama 10 points. That's 18 points. Now, every point is huge in a game like you're playing against Texas. But when you make mistakes that cost you 18 points, those are lethal. And you're never going to be a team of the caliber of Texas uh, by making mistakes like that. Which, Texas, like you said, is pretty good. Um, Quinn Ewers, just... uh, Tell me what you thought about this guy Saturday night. And you know what? He was showing that brilliance before he got hurt a year ago. Yeah, we were talking about this on the zone as well, that, you know, all year long you heard, you know, from the Texas fans, well, if our quarterback hadn't gotten hurt, uh, there would have been a big difference in that ball game. Well, what you saw Saturday night was what would have happened in Austin, Texas, had Ewers been healthy uh, to play the whole game because I would contest, I would contend that he got off to a hotter start against Alabama and Austin than he did in Tuscaloosa. You know, I mean, uh, this guy is uh, this guy is a high quality quarterback, and when you've got a quarterback like that, and you've got playmakers like that, and you've got a guy play uh, calling plays on the sidelines who I think is the best in the business right now, then that's that's a tough opponent. And, and look, I, 
I thought Alabama's defense, I'm not really dogging Alabama's defense that much. I mean, yeah, they let some receivers behind them. But, but they played well enough to keep Alabama in that football game. It was the offensive line mistakes and the quarterback uh, mistakes that, uh, that really, in the end, cost Alabama that football game. Jeff, um, do you think the fact that Texas knew that they could stand toe-to-toe with Alabama based on last year's game was a factor in them coming in and they just uh, were not intimidated by the environment or the team that they were going up against? Yeah, I think they came in pretty confident. I mean, we talked about this, uh, you know, uh, last week about uh, how Texas would come into this game. And, you know, there are certain teams who – you know, they're beat, you know, before they get into Bryant Day Stadium because of the Alabama mystique and all of that. Well, you know, that that doesn't play against Texas. I mean, the Alabama mystique means nothing to them, you know, because they feel like they've got a mystique, you know, of, of, of their own. And, uh, and certainly they came in with the swagger. They came in with the confidence that, you know, they could beat these guys. And, um, you know, like I said, if Alabama played a mistake-free game, you know, Alabama wins. Alabama wins that game. But Texas knew if they could force Alabama into making mistakes. And look, one of Jalen Milrow's worst mistakes probably was having a historic debut against Middle Tennessee. You know, when he ran for three touchdowns and, and threw two touchdown passes. And But what everyone needs to realize, and I'm sure everyone does, I'm not the only one, um, Middle Tennessee may have some future Lawyers, bankers, future business leaders playing on their team. Texas has got a, a bunch of future NFL stars, I mean, playing on their team. So there's a difference. When you see a window that was open against Middle Tennessee, that window closes a little quicker when you throw the football against Texas. So I think Jalen Milrow has learned a valuable lesson here. Now, if he goes out against South Florida and struggles, if Seth McLaughlin can't snap the ball, in Tampa, if the offensive line can't keep from holding people, you know, against South Florida, because Bama should win that game by three touchdowns, whether they're playing at Tuscaloosa, Tampa, or Timbuktu, then that's when you make a roster overhaul. That's when you come in the following Monday and you go, there's going to be some guys sitting on the bench this next week because we can't deal with this. So they got a game here to kind of clean up their act and execute better. And then I think, you know, you're going to be some, see some changes, but certainly not, not uh, heading into this football game because of the quality opponent they played last Saturday. Jeff, uh, a lot of talk out there about um, reasons behind the, the uh, slippage in the Alabama program. And um, I, I think you can't really uh, contest that argument that there has been some because you just it, it, it's right there in the statistics. I mean, I, I, Alabama, I believe it's uh, their 19 last games against uh, Power Five opponents, or uh, I, I believe it, they've lost five, or, or excuse me, top 20 opponents lost five in the previous 50. They had lost five. So um, it, it appears that the, the Alabama has sort of come back to earth and people are speculating, you know, is it because of the quality of coaches, uh, the assistants, that the, the fact that, um, you know, so many have left that has finally caught up with Nick Saban? Is it the fact that everybody in the SEC is running Nick Saban's defense? 
And that is what South Florida's head coach came out and said that, um, you know, that, that in 2021, when he's the offensive coordinator at Tennessee, he faced basically four Saban style defenses. And that is what allowed him to figure out how to best exploit it in 2022 when they scored the most points on Alabama since, uh, I think in 110 years. So what do you think? I mean, I know this is a big question, but, you know, but, but clearly we have the evidence that it's, it's not quite the same as it was in, in, you could say it's NIL too, different era. Uh, Nick Kelly from the Tuscaloosa News told us that that was kind of his, his operating theory. Um, what, what, what do you think? And I know this is a big wide open question. Well, I think when it comes to, to Nick Saban, you know, he's, uh, he's brought everyone's, every, everyone has raised their level of play, you know, to kind of contend, you know, with, with Nick because he's been so good at, at doing it for so long. Um, let's not forget Nick Saban saved Steve Sarkeesian's career. He saved it. I mean, he brought him in, you know, as an analyst when no one wanted to hire Sark. And he was part of Nick Saban's coaching rehab school, as we like to call it. And um, he put he put Sark back on his feet. And so, um, and then he's staring across the sideline at the monster, you know, that he helped create. So imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So if people are out there doing things the way Nick Saban did them, and they see the way he does them, Kirby Smart has done that at Georgia. He runs his program just like Nick Saban, you know, has done at Alabama. Then, of course, you know, you, you combine that with really good recruiting, and you're, you're going to get you're going to get the level of play that's going to be raised. And I think that's what Nick Saban's dealing with. And I think they have to raise their level of play a little higher as well. I want to talk to you a little bit more about Nick Saban and some rumors, and I think that's all they are, but. Because this is a talk show, and that's what we address, we're going to do that on the other side of the break. And I'm just assuming, Speaks, that you can hang on. Sure. All right. Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340 is our guest. Let's talk about the future of Nick Saban in Alabama. Coming up. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. That it is. Big Noon Sports, Matt Cooper, along with Lars Anderson, Justin Jones, and our guest uh, and a regular now on the show from ABC 3340 is Jeff Spiegel. Jeff, the uh, social media pages went crazy yesterday from a group called College Sports Corner. They have a Facebook page. That's all. Uh, I don't put a lot of credibility into it, but they said they had been in touch with family members that had indicated that Nick Saban 
had already started telling his close friends that he was retiring at the end of the year. Do you even care to address that? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not buying it. I mean, I'm just not. I mean, uh, man, I mean, the overreaction, you know, that comes after losses. And, and we've been, I mean, we've dealt with this, I mean, for a long time, you know, with Nick Saban. I mean, I, I can't point to particular games, but, but I remember after the kick six, you know, we heard a lot of talk about this. Well, you know, he's leaving, he's going to Texas or, you know, you've heard all kinds of things. Well, this is, this is going to be it for him. I, to, to me, the way I look at it is this, you know, he, he wants to stay on and he said this as long as he can contribute in a positive way to the program. All because they get beat by Texas by 10 points by a team who's now ranked fourth in the country, all because they lose to them at home, does not mean he isn't contributing in a positive way to this program. So I think that's the only reason why he would step down. Now, if this thing falls apart, you know, this year, then he may, you know, he may step down or he may go, you know what? I don't want to go out that way. Uh, I tend to lean toward that line of thinking that he's going to go out as on top as he can go out. And so, no, I'm not, I'm not buying anything on social media that talks about, you know, this is, this is it for Nick Saban. This is the final year. Um, I'm, I'm just not buying it until he, until he steps up to, you know, a podium, you know, and says, I'm resigning as the coach at the University of Alabama. That's when I'll believe it. I think a lot of people are just putting together the fact, you know, he just buys this huge place in uh, Florida. And then his post-game press conference, Jeff, where he just, he was saying, you know, what a, what an honor and a privilege it is to be at Alabama. It, it, it almost sounded like a farewell speech. Did you get that? I think he was messing with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no. I mean, I'll, I'll look at it now. Would, would he have said that? Would he have said that 14 years ago? You know, uh, no, probably not. But I don't think there's any question that that he's that he's mellowed to a degree that he um, he's able to stop and appreciate you know simpler things more you know than he used to. So there, there's no doubt in my mind that there is a there is a there is a point of either before the game, during the game, or whatever where he may have allowed himself to look up at the stands and go, wow, this is, this is really cool. But he thought about that for a millisecond, you know, before he got back, uh, before he got back to coaching. I think he appreciates the fact where he is, what he's done, um, and, and what games like that mean to the fan base and what it means to Tuscaloosa and what, it, and what they mean to college football. I mean, so, you know, there were, there were some folks who looked at that and go, wow, that was, that was, that just sounded so unlike Nick. I, again, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, tap the brakes here and, and say, don't read too much into stuff. I mean, this, there's, there's too much over analysis going on here, I think. And let's keep in mind now, recruiting, <laughs> that has a lot to do with people spreading these rumors. Trust me, it's happened in the past and it'll happen in the future. By the way, one of the true media confidants 
with Nick Saban is Chris Lowe. Chris Lowe says no. So, you know, I almost say end of discussion. All right, let's just do uh, an if, okay? Uh, Which is the better job right now, Jeff? Texas with all their NIL money or Alabama with all their history? Mm. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's a push. I'm going to say it's a push. And and again, um, you're asking me this question for the sole reason because Texas beat Alabama Saturday. Texas, because of that win against Alabama Saturday, has become all of a sudden the new flavor of the month. You know, uh, Ryan Williams, you know, the, the Alabama commit from Saraland, the, the, the receiver who's just fantastic, just a, you know, quote-unquote generational player. We, we've all heard that phrase thrown around a lot, but he's really, really good. You know, he's talking about visiting Texas. Now, you, now you talk about people pushing the panic button. If he flips to Texas, there are, there are going to be some people pushing the panic button when that happens because then you're talking about a recruiting class being affected and then you're talking about, you know, the foundation kind of crumbling a little bit because the lifeblood of all programs is is recruiting. So keep an eye on that. I don't know if that's going to happen, you know, but uh, the fact that he's even talking about visiting Texas, you know, has certainly gotten Alabama fans a tad nervous. All right. Uh, let's break away from football for just a second. Um, how about them Atlanta Braves, Harris Beaks? Yeah. Yeah, man, they're crushing the ball. I You're mean, two, it, they have I, two games and they win the division. Their magic number is two. This is just amazing. It's crazy. And Olsen's just killing the ball. He's got, uh, I mean, uh, 50 home runs. And it's 50, just, it's unbelievable what he's done. He's got 51. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, 51 now. So, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things, like if, like if you're a Braves fan, and I've been a Braves fan ever since the Hammer and Hank days, uh, you, you're, you, you kind of hold your breath. You know, it's kind of like, wait, whoa, this is too good. This is like too good to be true. This is too good to be happening. You know, I've, there, there's a guy I work with who's the most pessimistic sports fan I know. He loves his Braves, but he's got, he's got this idea that the wheels are going to come off. Like in the playoffs, I'm going, come on, man, enjoy this. You know, let's get to the playoffs and we'll get to the playoffs, but just enjoy this ride right now. Uh, but he can't. He just can't do it because he just knows that something bad is going to happen in the playoffs. But, but this team is just really riding an incredible wave of momentum and confidence, and uh, and they're they're just playing incredibly well right now. Jeff, your thoughts on the devastating injury suffered by Aaron Rodgers on what was looking like a really special Monday night at, at, at MetLife Stadium? Well, I was one of those watching it on TV. I had it on here in the sports office while I was putting the 10 o'clock show together. And uh, and I saw the pregame fanfare, and, and the Jets fans were just, just coming unglued. And then when he went out on the fourth play of the game, it's like all the air was was sucked out of that building. I, it is miraculous to me. I saw them interview Peyton Manning at halftime of the game, and and Peyton just just pretty much just wrote the Jets off at that point. 
I mean, full credit to those guys, you know, for hanging in there and Zach Wilson and, you know, the defense for making Josh Allen, who's, who's a pretty good when it comes to protecting the football, you know, forcing him into four turnovers. Uh, long term for the Jets, it doesn't look good, but I think it's amazing that they overcame that adversity Monday night and still beat the Bills. Uh, a big win for them, but a devastating, devastating injury. You know, for the Jets, and, uh, I, and one that you know you're talking about a torn Achilles and a guy who's 39 years old. I mean, we may have seen the last of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and um, going to uh, the backup for the Jets, uh, Wilson. I mean, Peyton Manning was basically annoyed watching him. I mean, he it was just he was like angry. Watching him and <laughs> just the, the 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 mistakes he was making, and uh, I, I hope he can turn it around. He seems like a good kid, but uh, you know the Jets are so talented. Uh, but yeah, uh, what, what does your gut tell you about whether or not Aaron Rodgers does come back? I I personally have suffered a torn Achilles, and I'm still not back to where I was. Uh, and it just it, it it seems to hit some of us in that uh, in that middle age range. Yeah, I don't think he comes back. Dan Marino came back from it and played six years, but he injured his when he was 32. And, uh, you know, 32 and 39, I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about seven years. And I just, I just don't see him. I don't see him coming back. Um, man, what a catch though that, uh, you know, the 17 made on that, another Wilson. And then, uh, the pub return was one of the most, Incredible plays like I've ever seen, you know, in, uh, in football. It was crazy, but it was, it was really, uh, such a compelling game to watch, but heartbreaking nonetheless because of what happened to Aaron Rodgers. Great stuff as always, Speeds. Hey, line up your Friday night and tell us more about the zone. Yeah. Well, we've got, uh, Friday night rivals blitz game day at 6.30 on my 68. Then at seven o'clock, we got a great game on my 68, Uber at Vestavia Hills. I mean, it's just one of the most intense rivalries in the state. And then, uh, Sunday nights, 1035 uh, on uh, ABC 3340, the zone. And, uh, always a lot of fun, always a lot to talk about. And appreciate you giving me the opportunity to plug those programs. And I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Yeah, really. Uh, that's the least we can do. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk next week. Have a great week. Thank you. All right. You bet. Uh, Lars, uh, we need to roll into our break, but uh, I'm sure you've, uh, you've seen this. Um, I heard about it on talk radio from the nationals to the locals yesterday about the bar tabs. Let's put it this way. When Rodgers went down, there was a certain segment of Jets fans oh, yeah. that actually cheered uh, crazy. Uh, but that's a great story, and we'll get to that on the other side of the break as uh, we are in the first half of Big Noon Sports. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us on tomorrow as we continue the conversation about Alabama football as they try to right the ship against USF. We'll continue to break down a couple of things they need to work on to get better against USF. And we'll also have Max Recruiting joining the conversation right here on your home for Alabama sports. 
Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Her Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit throughout the entire process the bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership trust me the bama broker who's as roll tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line that's laura lee thompson the bama broker with advantage realty group you can reach her at 205-790-7229 again that's 205-790-7229 and you can also email her at laura lee at the bamabroker.com that's laura lee at the bamabroker.com tide 100.9 tuscaloosa weather a partly sunny sky this afternoon the chance of a few scattered showers through the evening hours the high today 90 tonight's low 68 tomorrow a mixture of clouds and sunshine scattered showers are possible during the day the high at 85 i'm james Spann on the abc 3340 weather center on tide 100.9 it's 83 degrees in tuscaloosa Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. And we have Mike Rodak, AL.com, and uh, he is among the many fine beat writers. Uh, he does an excellent job. So he's going to join at 1 o'clock and up there's some inside scoop. He's liable to lay it on the line. But uh, I found this of great interest, and I got my cities mixed up here. So it wasn't Jets fans cheering Rodgers so they could get a free bar tab. It was Packer fans. A bar in Green Bay. Uh, Lars, follow along with me. Let me see if I can just get the boundaries on this. But uh, a bar was offering free tabs for every game uh, that Rodgers started and lost. And guess what happens four plays in he's out for the season so there's where the real cheers were because everybody at the bar started drinking like crazy because they're saying we got a free tab free tab i mean think of that like it's like it's free booze for three plus hours in wisconsin it's like yeah in wisconsin and it's like it is virtually guaranteed that it's all free and so what happens? Everybody just starts drinking like it's the last day on earth, right? And, oh, man. Uh, and they ended up holding, they ended up having to pay. What a great promotion that night for the bar. But is it my understanding, did you read further down in the article that they're going to continue to do this the rest of the year? But how can they if part of the rules is that he has to start? Yeah, uh, I, I, I have, I haven't seen that, but yeah, I can't imagine. There's no point of, uh, of keeping the, uh, sort of gimmick going because he's not playing again for the rest of the year. 
may never play again. I actually think he will come back. I think he I will. Too. I think he'll come back. It's going to be very difficult, but um, I don't think he wants to end his legendary career like that. And he did make a commitment to the Jets for two years. And he was firm in that, that he's going to play for two more years. But, man, it's going to be a grueling, grueling rehab. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, Aaron talked so eloquently and with a smile on his face about the, the, the one of the best relationships he has formed since he got to New York was with Zach Wilson. Right, the former number two overall pick who has really struggled in his first two seasons in the NFL. And he struggled again on uh, Monday night after he came in. So does Aaron Rodgers choose to rehab in New York, right? And then on Sundays, he can almost be, well, he would be basically an assistant coach and trying to get Zach ready to play. I think that will be an indication of whether or not Aaron's going to come back or not of where he rehabs. Because, again, he, he has gone out of his way time and time again to talk about how uh, rewarding it has been to be a mentor to Zach Wilson. And so, um, which is something he, he would never remember. He, he gave Jordan Love the cold shoulder in Green Bay, right? Kind of the By same the way. way bro- he's pretty good. Yeah, Jordan Love is pretty good. He's pretty good. I think Green I'm Bay. Very, very they, happy yeah, about that. G- uh, the, the GM, they, they knew exactly what they were doing in Green Bay. They know exactly what they're doing. Well, and, and this has been their MO. I mean, yeah. they've, they've always brought in somebody they really thought highly of, and they let him, you know, kind of tutor under the current quarterback. Um, they, they, they did that with Rodgers, although Rodgers was not very helpful. Um, they, you know, they did it with Favre, with Rodgers, right? So uh, I don't think Favre was very helpful to Aaron either. Well, there are times I don't think Favre was very helpful to anybody except himself. I still like the guy, although there's a lot of things hanging around him that are very, very questionable. But, all right, yeah. Lars, here's the deal. And keep in mind, I was on the road very late at night, so I was scanning, and I was picking up all kinds of sports shows. Uh, but one said... The Jets need to pay for Tom Brady. You heard yeah. that one? Yeah, uh, that is not happening. Um, I believe it was uh, either Brady or the Jets said it. It's it's not happening. And and look, Tom has lost a lot of weight. I don't know if you've seen him. Uh, you know, I was around him a lot. He, he's lost a lot of weight. He's in nowhere near football shape and. Uh, he's somebody who needs a lot of reps, and uh, this just doesn't fit Tom Brady at all. He's and, 46. Yeah, no. It, it, they are going to bring in a veteran. Um, a guy who makes a lot of sense to me is Case Keenum, uh, who plays for uh, Houston. He's currently the third stringer, uh, and uh, Case Keenum, you know, he's not – He's not going to win an MVP or anything, but uh, just a couple of years ago, he got paid pretty well. Um, and you just you, you want a guy with veteran experience who, if uh, Zach Wilson continues to struggle, and you look at the Jets' upcoming schedule, and it, it's really difficult uh, next uh, four games. But if he continues to struggle, 
you give this veteran like three, four weeks, and then you bring him in. You know, I've heard the name, you know, Carson Wentz. Um, some, Trey, I heard somebody mention Trey Lance, but wouldn't that send a signal to Rodgers that? Uh, well, I mean, hey, Trey, we Trey Lance is. Trey Lance is, you know, he's, he's with the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys have any intention of, of getting rid of Trey Lance. Um, oh, Jerry Jones said no. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so it's it, not going to be Brady. Um, I have a friend, and I, I, I can't, I shouldn't say who it is, but he's a good buddy of mine. He's a writer in New York, and he just signed this really big book deal to do a, a season like a Aaron Rodgers in New York uh, first season book. Oh wow! <laughs> and he, I know he already signed the contract, and uh, and you know the the advance was substantial. It was it was mid six figures. That's going to be the shortest book ever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're going to have to pivot and do uh, something a, a little bit different. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, I, I just feel so bad for Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, the Jets fans feel that they're cursed. And, and still the, the greatest moment in Jets history is our Alabama guy, Joe Namath, running off the field, waving He's that number one. can't buy a drink or dinner anywhere in Manhattan. Well, I, he doesn't drink anymore, but he yeah, he couldn't buy he couldn't buy one in uh, Alabama either. I'm, I'm no, assuming. No, um, yeah, I thought he did a, a very interesting job on game day. Uh, of course, he was a part of a very controversial play versus Texas back in the '60s, where everybody thought he scored. When in fact, he admits now he probably didn't, which is uh, quite interesting. So, uh, and he also wasn't he the one that picked. Uh, he picked a big upset, like Washington State over somebody. Anyway, uh, we can mill around that. And coming up top of the hour, we'll talk some more Alabama football with AL.com's Mike Rodak. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. WTUG HD2 Northport, W265CG Tuscaloosa, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. We're going to the second half here on Big Noon Sports. Don't forget that uh, we have a website, it's bigmoonsports.com, but also uh, our very, very close relationship with Tide 100.9, our flagship station in Tuscaloosa. You can also dial them up, and I urge you to extend that search and go into what's uh, called the Tuscaloosa Thread. Um, they have a lot of interesting stories online as well. Let's welcome in our second-hour guest. He's no stranger to this show, and that's Mike Rodak from AL.com. Mike, all week long, we've been talking about what's wrong with Alabama, what's wrong with Alabama, what's wrong with Alabama. I want to tell, I want you to tell me what's right and kind of look into your crystal ball for what Alabama has in front of it. Well, I'd, I'd say one of the things that's right that's almost surprised me a little bit has been the, the deep passing game and the ability to create some explosive plays through the air, which I think, go back to the summer, 
was probably one of the biggest questions about this team. Um, one of the things I was least expecting to see out of this offense, and uh, that really hasn't been the problem. I mean, they actually had more explosive passing plays than Texas did, uh, five over 15 yards compared to four over 15 yards for Texas. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's a very hit-or-miss sort of offense right now where, you know, Jalen Merrow has been able to hit some guys down the field, even a couple you know, touchdowns taken off the board. And a lot of the other stuff is not necessarily working quite as well. I mean, the running game, which we expected to be the stronger part of the offense, hasn't. Um, and that's been, you know, outside of the first three carries in the game. I think there was 29 yards in the first three running back carries against Texas, and they averaged two yards after that. So it's flipped from where the expectations were. But, you know, there is something to build on with, you know, Jermaine Burton in particular, and maybe Isaiah Bond and Amari Nyblock and, there's there's something there more than I thought, um, but in terms of the outlook, I mean it's it, look it's a situation here where this is the reality of the four team playoff, and this is obviously the last year of it. But you lose two games, and you're almost certainly out. You can't 100 percent say you're out, but history has shown there's never been a uh, two loss team make the playoffs. Even last year when Alabama had two close losses on the road and was seen still to be a good team. Uh, everything kind of fell their way at the end of the season with some of the conference championship games and all that, and they still didn't make the playoffs. So, you know, you, you put a situation here where one of your losses, hypothetically, is, you know, a 10-point home loss to Texas, and then you have another loss somewhere else. And I'm not sure two lost Alabama teams making it this year either. So they're in a spot where, you know, they, they really need to win every game. Uh, all eight SEC games, and then go to Atlanta and, and win the SEC championship if you want to make the playoff. Um, otherwise, it's going to be, you know, you lose another game here, and it, it's just kind of playing out the string, which is a very, very strange spot for this team to be in, and, and really some, somewhere it hasn't been in. And I mean, 2010 was probably the closest comparison, but even before then, um, you know, I'd say pre-Saban. Uh, if that that particular outcome happens, if let's say they lose a game in October, then the rest of the season, as far as a national championship, is is done. Mike, uh, are there unfair expectations that have been placed on Jalen Milrow? So, let's face it, following Bryce Young, you could be Quinn Ewers and you probably get picked apart. But do you understand my questions? I, I think sometimes, no, he didn't play great against Texas, but, you know, he had some bright spots. So... Are we expecting too much from him? I mean, his numbers are very comparable to Bryce Young's through two games of last season, with the exception of the interceptions. And those two interceptions were killer against Texas. I mean, that resulted in 10 points. The first was a field goal. The second was a touchdown. And obviously that was the difference in the game. Um, and, you know, you can argue the penalties, too, that took touchdowns off the board. But, um, you know, it's it, – it, he was never going to be Bryce Young. I think everybody knew that. I don't know if there was an expectation necessarily for him to be that. Um, I think the the opener probably, you know, buoyed some of the hope for him. Um, you know, fans saw the the big long touchdown passes to Bond and Nye Black and Burton in that game, and um, you know, there was sort of a we're going to rally around this guy. There was no questions. There's no doubt going into the Texas game on who the starting quarterback was, which I think. A month ago, I think we were expecting there to be. And, you know, that there's just this sense like, all right, you know, maybe this would work. 
And again, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, I, I don't know if he was the number one problem against Texas. I think there's a lot of other things. I think you can point to the offensive line, the running game, the defense, secondary. There's a lot of things. And he did some things well. The two interceptions were the, the big problems for him. And um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but you know, where does that leave him? I think it's in a spot where he's still, you know, potentially the starter, but there's less optimism that, you know, there's going to be a long-term solution with him in the sense that he can play and be the guy, you know, late into this season or into next season. South Florida head football coach, Alex Golish, um, Issued a statement, it's a news conference, whatever the case may be, and he said, you know, uh, I think some of y'all are not getting a clear message here on how many assistant coaches, now head coaches, that know Alabama's defense have kind of figured it out. Uh, and he was the OC at Texas, at Tennessee, not last year when, when Tennessee won, but he was indicating that he thought that because there were so many coaches in the SEC and, and slash Texas that were familiar with Alabama's defense, that somehow it's becoming easier to, to move the football on. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's probably some truth to that. I mean, it's changed, though. So it's not, you know, what the defense was when Kirby Smart was here is not the same as it is now. And it's, you know, does that help Kirby Smart, or is it just Georgia's a good football team, or is just Texas a good football team, and, and Steve Sarkeesian put his guys in the right spot? Versus, did he know exactly what Alabama was doing? I, you know, it's always a combination of factors. I, I certainly think it helps other coaches that they've been up and you know up close and personal with that defense and with Saban, and they kind of know what he's thinking. Um, but I think you know people also have a lot of faith and trust in Nick Saban that he's going to continue it, to adapt and stay a step ahead. And he's also been up close and personal with Sark and, and the other coaches that have gone against him and know what they think. And um, so it goes both ways. And, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if that's the driving factor, you know, to why there's been more success. You know, LSU put 32 points in Alabama last year, and that's not a coaching staff that really, you know, has, you know, ties to Nick Saban. Um, and it was just, you know, Brian Kelly, coach Notre Dame, did not have a, as much success with less talent, and he had more success with more talent. So I think talent's certainly a part of it, and there's, quite frankly, better talent right now at other schools at quarterback and wide receiver than there is at Alabama. You know, Alabama's wide receivers are not as good as Texas's. Same thing at quarterback. And that's, I think, a bigger you know part of the formula is that for – a variety of reasons, NIL and the portal and all that, there's there's better players elsewhere than there was 10 years ago. And um, those those players are the players on the field who are going to make the plays, and that's what happened on Saturday. Mike, uh, did you see a Bo Davis influence in the way Texas's D-line played and, and emotionally? Um, you know, so I never covered Bo. He was before my time um, at Alabama, so I I can't say I, I knew what to look for there. Um, but, you know, it seems like from a football standpoint, he was well-regarded when he was here. And um, obviously those were better Alabama defensive lines than I think they have now. I think there's there's less 
disruptive players that they have on their defensive line here, and Texas has disruptive players and Sweat and and some of those guys that you know everybody knew about going into the game. That everybody was kind of saying that was probably going to be the best defensive line they played all year, and I think they lived up to it. You know how much Bo Davis has influence on that? I'm not sure. Um, versus you know Freddie Roach and, and what he's doing at Alabama's defensive line. Again, I think talent still probably. Uh, the driving factor there. And if you put sweat on Alabama's defensive line, I think they have more than zero pressures and zero sacks in this game. Mike, uh, tell us what your, how people can follow you and maybe what you're working on these days. And we'll take a break and come back and talk some more. Yeah. On uh, Bama247.com and on Twitter at Mike Rodak. I just say at AL.com a minute ago. My apologies, Mike. Old man memory catches up with me. You are with Bama 24-7. Please correct me next time. But let's hope, Mike, there won't be a next time. Hey, I got to ask you about the running back room. Big question for you. Coming up on Big Noon Sports. Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa the weather. A partly sunny sky this afternoon. The chance of a few scattered showers through the evening hours. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 68. Tomorrow, a mixture of clouds and sunshine. Scattered showers are possible during the day. The high at 85. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 83 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And our guest from Bama 24-7 is Mike Rodak. Mike, uh, I've looked and uh, never heard the question asked to Nick Saban or anyone else, but um, Justice Haynes was absent. Is he injured? Do, Do you have any idea why he did not play against Texas? No, he was he was healthy. Um, he's been back to practice. He was hurt. Uh, I think it was the second scrimmage, which would have been like the third weekend in August. Um, but he came back after that and um, just you know didn't play, which I think is is a good question because it's um, it was glaring how ineffective that group of running backs was against Texas. And you know I think we've reached a point where. You know, I don't want to pick on Roydell Williams, but I, I think he's probably the least explosive of of that group. And you know, it's been four years now at Alabama. I just don't know. You know, you know I think they can rely upon him to do the right thing, to you know, be good in, in, at blitz pickup, to be in the right spot, you know, to contribute on special teams. But I don't know if he needs the carries that he's getting, and if it would be better to give those to Justice Haynes or Richard Young. I mean, you have two five star running backs. That didn't really play on offense against um, Texas, and you know Demarion Miller too is a guy who, by all accounts, had a really good fall camp, a couple of good scrimmages, and um, you know didn't do much with the couple of carries that he had. But I, I do think there's there's probably a conversation worth having about shaking that order up, and um, you know I think Saban really likes Jason McClellan. I think he's certainly done some pretty good things over the last couple of years, but 
the ceiling for him is not as high as, as Justin Haynes is. And um, look, if you're if the identity of this offense, the goal of this, this offense is still to try to run the ball, be physical, um, you know, be a little bit more controlled at quarterback, then everybody's going to point to 2015. You know, it's the season where they did that really well and even lost the game early. But they had Derrick Henry that year, and they don't have Derrick Henry on this roster. But the next best thing they probably have is Justice Payne, uh above Jace McClellan. So, you know, I think that it's worth, especially in a game like this against South Florida. Like, why not get some of those younger guys on the field at running back, and you know, try to get them going and um, kind of see where it leads you. Usually, um, it's been my experience when when a guy that young and obviously very talented doesn't get into games it's because he's not doing the other things you give him the ball he's great but he might also get your quarterback killed um i remember 30 years ago and gene stallings gave that explanation after um sean alexander ran for 271 yards against lsu um sometimes those guys just don't pick up the offense right yeah i well i think you know there's a lot of optimism around Haynes and what he did in the spring and fall. And, um, and he had a great opener too. I mean, he was on the field for middle Tennessee state and I think ran, he was averaging like six or seven yards carry when he was in there. Um, and there was issues with blitz pickup against middle Tennessee. Um, you know, Jim Miller's the play that comes to mind. Um, but in a game like that too, I think, you know, a tight game, important non-conference game, they're they're probably going to lean on the older guys more than anything else. Granted, you know, they had a freshman left tackle in there and a freshman safety, and that didn't really work out too well. But um, it's, it's yeah, it's a question worth asking to Nick Saban um, tonight or at another point here about Justice Haynes and kind of where things stand. What do you know about South Florida? I mean, I know they're one and one. They beat Florida A&M, which is, uh, are they even an FCS school? I don't know. Um, but lost to Western Kentucky, I don't know much more than they'll play at Raymond James and they're the Bulls. They do. I do know this. They they can put points on the board. Yeah, I think, you know, there's probably more optimism down there uh, with Alex Golesh coming in, who was Tennessee's offensive coordinator last year, as you mentioned. And, you know, obviously they're not dealing with Tennessee-type talent right now, but can he somehow scheme, you know, USF into a few big plays and, and make things interesting Saturday? I don't know. I mean, it's They've been one of the worst teams in FBS the last couple of years. They're on a 17-game losing streak against FBS teams. Like you mentioned, they, they beat Florida A&M last weekend. That's FCS. That had ended, I think, 15 or 20-game losing streak, whatever it was, against um, this opponent in general. 15, I think. Um, but now they still have that FBS losing streak that they're dealing with. So it's, it's a team that's fallen off quite a bit from where they were when they scheduled this game, which was 2019 when they announced this. Um, it's a two for one. So, you know, they go down to Florida, they play in an NFL stadium. Um, you know, it's a recruiting hotbed down there. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Alabama fans at this game. It's not going to be an intimidating road crowd by any means. It's not like going to Penn state, you know, in 2011. Um, and, you know, they get two home games back to help fill their schedule. And, you know, there's an exchange of money. Um, so, you know, then that was coming off of a pretty good season, you know, for USF at the time it was Charlie Strong was their coach. And I think they had just gone to a bowl game and won it. Um, really ever since then, they've, they've gone downhill with Jeff Scott and he got fired. And, uh, now Alex Golish coming over from Tennessee. 
Yeah, let's have, let's talk about Nick Saban. There's a lot of people, you know, jumping overboard on this stuff. Um, sometimes I don't even think it's worth addressing due to the sources in which these reports come from. But I guess people put that loss, um, Saban's end of the news conference comments about how what a privilege it's been uh, to coach at Alabama, and then you know, then there's the home down in the, actually that somewhere around Tampa, seventeen point eight million. Do you see him retiring anytime soon? I mean, I think those are all separate things. I don't, you know, people tying them all together, I don't think is, um, you know, it's not necessarily there. Um, you know, granted, I, he's buying a retirement home to retire in it one day. Like, I think that's that's pretty clear. And obviously, with every passing year, we get closer to that retirement. And I, I think I said over the summer on a different show, like, two and a half more years was kind of my over under on it going into this season. I don't think anything's really changed in my mind, um, you know, based on anything he said or anything that's happened so far this year. I think, you know, it's within the next two to four years is, is kind of where I expect this to end. But, um, you know, in terms of the comment after the game, it was, it, it was not the first time he even mentioned that last week. I mean, it was kind of a point that he wanted to address not only with his players, but kind of with the fans that, you know, they understand, like, you, you pay a lot of money, you, you come to this game, there's a lot of hype around it, there's a lot of expectations, and fans come and they watch a team lose. And they watch a team lose, you know, a Texas running up the clock on them, you know, running for a first down on third and seven, having an offsides penalty on fourth down, and just kind of a crushing way. And I think that was a message when he kind of stepped back to the microphone at the end of his press conference to kind of say, like, thank you for coming, and, you know, we'll – we take this seriously and we, we view it as a privilege. We're not taking it for granted and they'll try to do better. I think is, is kind of um, what it was. I think it was a message trying to thank the fans. I think it was also a message to all the recruits who are right in the room right next to him there that are listening to that press conference. And um, you know, that it's, he's not just taking the whole thing for granted. I, I don't think it was, you know, I'm nostalgically or I'm getting, you know, emotional about this, this big game. Cause I know it's going to be one of my last, like, I don't think that's what I took from that at all. Me either. Um, I think people have add, added three things up and gotten 10. <coughs> so, um, we'll see how that worked out. But speaking of the atmosphere, uh, can you rank it? Was it, what is, is it electric as, uh, everybody that was there I've talked to said? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a, you know, kind of walk around too much and i think part of the difference you know at the last really big home game like this i mean in terms of rankings was the georgia game in 2020 but that was a covid game it was half full you know 20 percent full it was really the 2019 lsu game you know the big difference for us was that the 2019 lsu game it was an outdoor press box and so we kind of hear everything you know, were kind of more in the middle of it now with alabama's press box being moved a couple of years ago we're indoors and uh you know you're not as in tune with the crowd noise. So it's a little bit hard to compare in my mind, but yeah, I think it was good. I think it was, you know, it's in terms of like press box or in terms of environments that have been in, I, I don't know if it's number one. Um, I, in the couple of years I've covered, covered college football, I think the, the Florida game two years ago was, was probably number one. I mean, that was the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. Um, but you know, it's, it's still, it's still a great environment. There's still big games like this, and there's still going to be a few. I mean, in Tennessee and LSU games, I think are going to have similar sort of feelings to them, especially given Alabama's backs against the wall and they they can't be losing um, another game here. 
Uh, you're traveling down to Tampa, I would assume? I am on Friday. All right. Well, uh, have a safe trip. Enjoy Raymond James Stadium. You ever been there? I have uh, once, 10 years ago. Uh, I covered a, a Bills-Bucks game. It was E.J. Manuel, you know, the former Florida State quarterback oh, who was yeah. a rookie for the Bills, and he, he threw four interceptions. So I, I remember that vividly. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's kind of a cool place. There's a big pirate ship in the end zone. I guess it's still there. Um, yeah, they have the cannons that they fire off yeah. during during Bucks games. But uh, it's hot, man. Tampa is hot. If you're inland a bit and there's no breeze, um, you know, it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity, and it, it can make for a long day. But they have an air-conditioned press box, so all is good. Um, again, okay, tell everybody where you are. I, I know that. Uh, Bama 24-7 and what y'all have got on the page today. Yeah, you know, Bama 24-7. Um, and we have everything from Nick Saban's, SEC conference call this morning when he was talking about the quarterbacks and um, you know the ongoing competition there, which I thought was interesting. And also, you know, I think a question about whether he listens to people talking about the dynasty being over. So you can read about that as well. How about the Bills? It's a tough Monday night football game for Buffalo. No doubt. Hey, uh, thanks for your time. Let's check in again next week. You got it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7, our guest. When we come back, let's just open up and tear these phone lines apart. 205-342-9904. React to anything we've talked about or anything you've thought about. Uh, again, it's 205-342-9904. to take on South Florida. Our coverage begins at 11.30 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Thanks to Mike Rodak and to Jeff Spiegel, our guests today. Um, I think we got Timmy B coming up tomorrow, right, Lars? That's right. Uh, 115 tomorrow, Tim Brando. He's got a lot to get off his chest, and uh, we're going to allow him to do that. Uh, we usually do. Uh, a good read, a recommended read from the broadcaster and not the writer, Lars Anderson. But I was just, you know, doing show prep, as we both do. And I ran across a story from Alex Scarborough, who you know, ESPN writer. And uh, it's uh, about Joe Milton. And it goes from chasing rabbits to uh, an alligator. And then it goes to how far he can throw a football. And then there's video. And it's it's got like, I don't know, millions of clicks about how far can Joe Milton throw an orange obviously he's throwing orange for tennessee orange but he airmails the 
the orange from about the five to all the way out of the back of the opposite end zone, and it smashes up against the wall. Now, wow. does that equate to throwing a football that far? No, no. I don't think so. But I have heard in several reports that Milt, one of Milton's faults, believe it or not, is that particularly on over-the-middle patterns, it's hard to catch. I mean, <laughs> this guy's throwing a Nolan Ryan ball at you. Can, what, he and can throw a football, what, 80 yards? I would is think it? at least that. But yeah. That also made me start thinking about guys that you've read about and maybe even seen that could really, really throw it. Remember, do you remember Dan Pastorini? Yeah. Well, uh, Houston Oilers, yep. number seven. Uh, man, he could throw it. Do you remember, and this is... Uh, not many people remember this. I do. Do you remember what he did after he played football? Mm, I do not. He got into NHRA. He's a drag racer. Huh. There's a fun fact to know and tell. But um, I just think it, and the story is, is a good read and, and a dive into the man, Joe Milton. So we'll see him later this year in Tuscaloosa. But, um, man. And he's six five, what two fifty? Yeah, this a is big, a large a man. Yeah, yeah, he's a big dude. But anyway, um, yeah, years and years ago, when uh, Scott Frost was a senior at Nebraska, he was going into his senior year, and I, I went out to Lincoln and uh, did a story on Scott. We went out onto the Memorial Stadium field and. I, you know, I always like to get athletes, players, coaches, whatever. Just like I don't want to do the interview in a uh, in a just in a, in a uh, stale conference room. Like I, I want to get them out, like walk across campus or whatever, uh, because it just makes them feel more relaxed. Or you know, have them give me a tour of their of the town or you know, just anything. But Scott was like, "Hey, let's go have a game of catch." I'm like, "All right." And uh, <laughs> so he's standing at the goal line. And first I start at the 20-yard line. And number one, he's throwing the ball so hard, it, it's really hard, it's hard to catch. It kind of rips through your skin when you're yes, because of the yes, rotation. Yes, yeah. yes. And, um, and then, you know, after about five minutes of this, she was like, all right, let's, let's, let's let it rip. Let's let it rip. And so I go to the 30, the 40, the 50, and he's like, keep going. I'm at the 40. He said, keep going. So I'm at the 30, and I'm 70 yards away. And Scott, right from the goal line, he's just, you know, it's like there's one, two, one, two, and then boom, he releases it. Travels seventy three yards, so I'm, I'm I have to back up to the twenty seven yard line, and I'm just thinking if I don't catch this pass, like I will never hear the end of it. But no, he he hit me uh, right in the numbers, and and wow. it, it hurts so bad. <laughs> but yeah, he threw it seventy three yards with not much of a warm up, and uh, I, I just I, I'd never seen anything like that before. You know, he is. Uh, his mom, I think, or maybe it was his dad, or no, Scott was a, a, like a state shot put champion or something, really strong arm. But 
Have, have you ever played catch with a professional quarterback? Oh, yeah. I mean, there have oh, been yeah. times like Jay and I, we'd play catch. And even now, like Jay, if he wants to, he can put some mustard on the ball. Right. I don't think people, well, you know, Alabama fans particularly, are, they would understand. But, um, you know, your average walking around fan has no idea. You know, um, I've been around some that when they release it, it starts whistling. Yeah, you um, can you hear it you before hear you can. It. Yeah, you hear it. You, you literally hear it. And, um, <laughs> you know, the greater the spiral, the greater the velocity and Did the you greater any, the what, chances of dropping it are when you were a uh, novice. When you were gallivanting across the globe with uh, the snake, Kenny Stabler, did you guys ever uh, get a get a ball out and yeah. throw it around? Uh, not not much like getting on a practice field. Um, but yeah, we toss it around sometimes uh, in pregame. But he'd just kind of lolly lolly you know lollipop it to me, and I'd catch it. And of course, I I played a very very little when I was younger, and I, I can I can throw it okay. But not like these guys. And we've gone into this, I think it'll be the third time, of how difficult it is to field a punt. <laughs> when it gets to the its peak and it does what's called turnover, yeah. it starts coming down like, I don't know, something that comes. It's coming down like a rock. Um, and you know, at 110 feet per second, it's it's just ridiculous, and you almost have to get your chest involved because if you try and catch that thing with all hands, you know what's going to happen? It's going to rip the first seven layers of your skin off <laughs> yes. onto the turf. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. It's just, it, it, it's, it's it painful. Hurts. You do it, you do it once, and you're just like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> But, you know, we were we were yeah. traveling with very very limited staff, and so I'd get out there in practices and you know do what you know, anything I could to help Chan and his staff out. But one day I got on a separate field, and I was wish I could remember the punter's name. He was all USFL, but man, um, I did it willingly but painfully. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yes. Um, but get, getting back to quarterbacks, I do remember one, and his name was Willie Satellite, for good reason. I say Toten, some say Totten. And oh, Willie Totten? Those, yeah. yeah. You remember him? Oh, he man. He, oh, jeez, he could spin it, yeah. And he was uh, Jerry Rice's quarterback. He's Jerry Rice's quarterback at um, yeah, Mississippi Valley State. That's right. Oh, but um, I always thought that was a... What uh, an arm he had, and how cool a, a nickname he had. Uh, who do you uh, think uh, of all? Uh, let's just like stick with the NFL. Who do you think has uh, this quarterbacks that have had really strong arms? I think uh, I, I start with um, Doug Williams. I would go with John Elway. Oh yeah, uh, Elway. Yeah, and, Elway's number one. And, yeah, and, and I I brought up Chan Gailey, and before he came to Birmingham to coach the Fire, um, he was the OC for Dan Reeves, Denver, and we would talk about it. And he's Matt. You you really can't understand what kind of arm he has when he can roll to his left and throw a fifteen yard out, and he's throwing the you know the width of the football field. 
50 yards. He said, on a dart. He said, um, it's amazing. He'd never seen anything like that in his life. So there's one. Didn't his receivers... Didn't Elway's receivers complain... Because like because he'd throw the ball so hard, <laughs> and uh, it just you know they would ask him to uh, throttle it down a little bit in practice because it, it just everybody's getting you know jammed fingers and and just you know bruises on their arms. Um, Why they were wearing gloves? Yeah, you know, keep their epidermis intact. Um, uh, Matthew Stafford has a great arm. Yeah. Um, but Boomer great arms don't always. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, no, uh, no. Look yeah, at I, Tom Brady. Uh, yeah, Tom Brady probably can't throw the ball 50 yards. Um, but you don't need to. Really. <laughs> no, no. You just, uh, I, I really, if you throw the ball deep in the NFL, it's, it's typically going to be, from your release point, uh, if, if you're on rhythm, I think it's going to be maybe like 49 to 52 yards, somewhere in there. Does that sound about right to you, Justin? You, you, you've played football, so you know. Maybe Justin... Uh, oh, sorry, guys. Say that oh. one more time. Okay. In the NFL or even in college... Like if you're throwing on time and you're throwing a, a say just a, a simple a, a, a go route, the ball is only going to travel through the air or something like uh, I, I just said forty nine to fifty two yards. Isn't that is that about right to you? Yeah, that's about right. The the I feel like the deepest throws um, from the guys like like if Josh Allen chucks one, it's it's around sixty yards. And it also airtime will depend on who's throwing. Like Russell Wilson is known for just moon balls that stay in the air forever. And what, what about that moon ball that uh, Ewers threw on Saturday night? Why, yeah, why are you, why are you bringing that throw. up, Lars? You but know? What a, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've seen a ball go that high before, Brian Denny. Yeah, it was throw. a bomb. It was a bomb. That was just sure. a that was a thing of beauty. It, it also helped cow. that uh, the receiver was playing by himself on the field. Basically, <laughs> yeah, he was. No, because he was like, "Hey, this guy's so wide open. I'm just going to throw it up there and let him run under it." <laughs> Took a long time for it to come down, but that. Receiver was going. Oh, come on, come on, come on! But man, that was that was a thing of beauty. That was just a, a, a stunningly good throw. He's a stunningly good quarterback, and he's gonna. I would take. I would on. take him. I don't know who. I, I wouldn't take anybody number one over him right now. I would take well, him over Caleb Williams. I would too, because he's just a better passer. Yeah. Um, right now in this game, that's what you need. You know All who right, reminds uh, me of? Sorry. Uh, no. Like, uh, Je- like in terms of arm talent, is Jeff George. I hope he's got a better head. Yeah, he does. He does. He's a good kid. Jeff George was funny, but he's just kind of weird and obtuse. He was obtuse. Is that a good word for you? Whether yes. Word man? Okay. Yes. Um, an arrest has been made concerning... The actions of, from what I know, one guy on the sideline following the um, Alabama, or actually during the end of the Alabama-Texas game. Um, get some quick reaction from Mars and Justin on the other side of the break as we cruise along on a Wednesday for Big Men Sports.
if you're, you know, come back on them. But personally, I'd like for them to find the guy and prevent him from going to any other University of Alabama sporting events. And you know what? Here, here's a good thing. I'm I'm wrong. I'm assuming it was a student. It sounded like a younger guy, but it, it could have been just a, you know, um, you know, a fan. Uh, so don't let me indict the students. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not saying it was a student, but um, there are certainly, of my students, I bet they know somebody who maybe knows somebody who saw what was going on. And, uh, and that would be like the, the first lead. And you, then you just try to unravel it from there. Listening to Big Noon Sports. We will be right back. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Hey, Lars, here's one that I read this morning, and it just made me kind of slap myself on the forehead and said, you're just doing this now? The uh, NFL Players Association is looking into trying to get all fields grass. Seems to me like this would have been one of their lead requests in the last negotiations, Lars. Yeah, and... um you know, we talked about this yesterday for a, a, a little bit, and uh, Justin, I, I, I want to go to you because uh, you know you have experience playing football. When you have gone back and and looked at that uh, at, at, at the Aaron Rodgers injury, 
and that's kind of what they're hanging their hat on the NFLPA in in making this argument right now. Do you think it would have happened if this had been if the if uh, MetLife Stadium was uh, was grass as opposed to uh, turf? I don't know. You know, we we talked about it yesterday, Lars, on the show, where like maybe if it was not turf, his cleat wouldn't have grabbed as much and you know strained his calf to the point of his Achilles breaking um, I know as far as other injuries go like uh, like turf toe and all these other you know <laughs> turf related injuries they would be almost completely solved they would still happen occasionally occasionally I'm sure but I saw exactly what you're talking about. The uh, NFLPA is kind of making it their number one priority now. Why now? Why hadn't they been doing that in the past? That, that, that's my main question uh, of this. Uh, just uh, I, I don't I don't quite get it. Player safety should always. I mean, it should always be at the top, and the owners should want that because how much did they invest in Rodgers? Yeah, and and how much how much money are the Jets going to lose now? Say in merchandise sales and all of the uh, ancillary forms of revenue that Aaron Rodgers is going to generate for them. Everything that they're losing, they could put probably uh, grass in <laughs> like every stadium in the league. I mean, they're going to lose millions and millions. Yes, yes, they could put. Yes, they could put a new uh, grass in, in the entirety of Central Park from 59th all the way up to 110th. And Lars, do you think from, most of the world that hadn't been to New York realizes how big that piece of property is? Oh, it is. It, it's the greatest park in the world. And, uh, you know, I've been to uh, Hyde Park in London, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, but uh, Central Park is just uh, stunning because you walk in there and uh, it's like you, you can't even hear the sounds of the city. You can it's the only place in the city that you can hear birds and and uh, the the actual property is just gorgeous. I used to run around the reservoir. Uh, which is, I think, like 1.4 miles uh, when I was training for the marathon and even after. It was just, it, it, you get these spectacular views. Um, Can you see the stars from the middle of it? Mm, no, thinking, no. The only time I saw the stars was when uh, there was the, the, the power went out in yeah, all of New York City because of that, that squirrel. Yeah, the blackout, the squirrel in uh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> that caused <laughs> that caused the blackout, and that was that was quite the evening. We've talked about that. Oh, you but, told um, me about the heat. It was you know just unbearable. So everybody went to the bars. Yeah, and everybody's giving away beer for free because <laughs> the refrigeration was done. Is going to go bad, and in all the you know the little the bodegas, everybody's giving the ice cream away for free. It was awesome. It was awesome until you had to actually try to go to sleep. That's uh, why. That's why me and my buddy stayed up all night. Um, I don't know. The, the, I can't sleep when it's even a little bit hot. Makes me very uncomfortable. So anyway, all right, Lars. Our thanks again to Jeff Spiegel of ABC thirty three forty and Mike Rodak from Bama twenty four seven. Thank you for your time. The man, Tim Brando. Love him or not, he's going to be on just tomorrow at 1.15 and um, just can't wait to hear what he's got to say about saving in Alabama. And don't forget, you can join us live 
at Innisfree this Friday from noon to 2. How was your chicken wrap last week? I loved it. I loved it. I devoured that thing. I was like like a man who hadn't eaten in a month. (laughs) I've seen your appetite get rather voracious. Hey, uh, Lars, uh, thanks. Good time. Justin Jones, always thanks to you. We'll do this again in 22 hours. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com.